The Mixing Music Podcast is proud to say that we have a lot of free resources outside of the actual podcast. Visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash links to find access to our free PDFs and free resources. One, two, three. Yeah. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is uh, how do I say Auto Loon? Auto Tune Lou? Oh, it's Auto Loon. Auto Loon. Auto Loon. I mean, that kind of calls me automatically you, crazy, but at the same time, I love it. Auto Loon. You, you, you sent that to me, and then also you sent. Like you said it three times in a row, and then I said, "You said called it next one, got it." <laughs> I was like, "How the hell did I not think of this before?" Auto loon, okay. Auto so loon. We got Lou. Auto loon, Lou. <laughs> Auto loon, Lou. <laughs> um, and we got a good episode today. We're going to talk about something that many people have been asking us about, but it now does include we include the have, use of auto tune. It potentially, yeah, it does. And we're going to talk about um, prices and what are some relatively good figures to base your prices around for mixing. So I think we've done a couple episodes about this in the past, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I saw a PDF this week of somebody posting something. I don't remember what sort of business or help site it was, but something about posting how much for different levels of mixes. Maybe it was like Sonic Scoop or Pro Tools Expert or something like that, but someone mm-hmm. had posted how much you should be charging for mixes or like what's the normal average rate. And, and it was very interesting to me. So I want to talk about those numbers specifically, um, but as well as bring up um, what we think, right? And the different variables that go into it. For example, the marketplace is a big variable. Like if everybody else in your area is charging a lot less or a lot more, or if you're online and you're promoting 100% online, now you have a very different marketplace because online versus through like sound better or engine ears or Fiverr is going to be a very different marketplace. So those things make have a factor as well. Don't forget that you're also dealing with other people in different countries that are also getting the work. Now, one of the things that I, uh, I remember being surprised about was that Tizio wasn't just doing mixes out here. He was also doing mixes overseas. But that also made me wonder like how much he's charging overseas versus over here. So I think this is a really cool subject because the reality is it's completely variable. Yeah, and I think that this is a good time to make a point, which is we're basing off of USD. So I know there's a lot of listeners outside of the United States, so this may still be cool and relative to wherever you're at. But remember, we're talking about USD. And luckily, I have experience outside of LA when in a non-music market, as well as now in a music market. So we're going to talk about those differences. But let me me briefly state um, what, what I remember this PDF file saying. So I remember it saying, uh, for beginner engineers, you should be looking to charge anywhere between free to $300. That's the price range of an intro mix. Like uh, someone that's got some experience, potentially someone that's got a decent amount of experience, but maybe not as many credits, um, you know, uh, whatever, right? Clientele is here and there, but can range from no experience to a decent amount of experience, a good amount of experience. Um, number two, which the PDF said was a sweet spot for engineers and for bands and artists to look for hiring engineers 
is the $300 to $600 range. Mm. So this is usually people that are a little bit more advanced, a little bit more experienced, and usually have some form of credits uh, and have some sort of notoriety within the engineer field. Um, And then $600 plus, and that goes to thousands of dollars, is the more advanced field, more white glove um, and more upper echelons of engineers. So off of that first basic explanation... What is your initial thoughts, Lou? Uh, Did that make sense? Is that off from your own personal to experience? To be honest, that makes sense and doesn't make sense. The uh, reason it makes sense is because if you're a beginner engineer, um, I don't doubt that you can learn quickly. I don't doubt that you can actually progress and become this amazing engineer uh, much faster than others, just like some people have an easier time understanding certain material in school than others. But it's not the reason that they're paying you more. It's the respect. It's the mutual respect between you and your client, not the respect that you have in your industry either. Because there's many people who have no name. They don't have social media, and they continually work in our industry and make tons of money, but yet nobody really knows who they are. The only way to fact check them is to actually talk to the people within their own circles. But you only get there by good work ethic, and you only get there by actually having good results. So uh, whether you're Beginner or not is less the issue. It's more about who are you working with and what level of respect have you gained in that circle. So a couple of things that I want to point out that you made a good point of. First off, this list that was made was more for the perspective of the buyer. Yeah, It was for the band or the artist looking to hire a mix engineer. So that's the first thing. So I want to be clear about that. There's a lot of generalizations and discrepancies between the different tiers. Yeah, And the number two thing that we want to make a big deal out of um, is that what it seems to categorize is equal to money. For example, yeah. experience equals more money. Yeah. Right. Uh, clientele equaled more money. Yeah. Like if you're working with, according to this PDF, another thing that the PDF said was um, uh, not just experience, not just clientele, but as well as turnaround time was usually part of it, uh, can be part of it, um, as well as, I think that was it, actually, to be honest. I mean, you you know my personal view on things. When it comes to hiring engineers at our own studio, I'm very particular about this. But it's never been about who their credits are. But rather, um, I've met many people who have been around forever. And I've worked with tons of people who are ve- not very good at all. And then I've met people who are newer and also work with new people. But they just happen to be accepted into a very prestigious studio, uh, interning or assistant, assisting for somebody. And because of that, they picked up so quickly and people recognize them. Though they may only have a year or two experience, they're actually much further ahead than most others. And they've grown to build a relationship with the right people in the industry who are able to pay those budgets. I bet you anything there's a lot of people that listen to our podcast who have a better engineer at a lower cost than the people they're trying to hire. So I think this is a really good point to make, which is um, kind of marketing 101 here, um, is we need to think from the perspective of the buyer. So yeah. uh, I've told the story in the past, I believe, but I'll tell it again. There's a moment, I've told you this multiple times. We were hanging out at my friend Eman's studio mm-hmm. um, in Van Nuys, California, and, and we were. Eman's a cool guy, by the way. So if you guys don't know him, look him up. He's really cool. Yeah, Eman's really dope. And Eman had a just got a nice pair of those like eighty thousand dollar PMCs, the full stacks, mm-hmm. like the really nice ones. So good. And um, 
he also had a pair of those really tall uh, mastering monitors called like the Tyler Acoustics. Tyler? Oh, yeah. I yeah. know which ones. They, you know, they look like a beast. Yeah, they look big. And we were doing shootouts between the two of them. And I brought an artist friend of mine. And he had swapped the speaker. Now, the Tylers were very mid-dipped. Like the mid-range was... It was more of like a hi-fi speaker. Lots of bass, lots of top end, not a lot of mid-range information. The PMCs were a little bit more flat, but still a lot more aggressive top end, a lot more aggressive upper mid-range specifically. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, what we kept swapping between them. And between you and I and anybody listening to the show that is an engineer, it was pretty obvious when he switched the speakers. Oof. It was really obvious, not only in tone, but as well as in punch. Everything was different. And granted, my friend was truly an artist. He doesn't record himself. He doesn't engineer himself at all. He doesn't do critical listening. He doesn't mix himself, nor does he actually ever give feedback. So he's truly just consumer-grade listener. Yeah. But he's also an artist, right? And And if it's the person I'm thinking of, he was a cool artist. Yeah, and and great. So that being said, when we asked him what he thought— he asked us dead, like super dead serious, looked us in the eyes and said, did you sp- switch speakers? I couldn't tell. And it made me realize in that moment that, oh my gosh, I'm overthinking everything. And like, yeah. it, it really doesn't matter. Like you can't even tell when we swapped the speakers. I mean, we did have them level match and everything. So yeah, it's, it's just so, totally took us by surprise. So we're thinking from the consumer end. We need to think from their end. And I think... That between when you put two mixers head to head in different various price points, you might find that a lot of people like the cheaper one more, the one with yeah. less experience and, and less clientele more. So I think it's important to give those people the shot. But remember, we're talking from a clientele based perspective. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but if I was a clientele with no engineering experience, for example, I might be interested in videography mm-hmm. and hiring a director and I have a budget. Mm-hmm. Now, I might go with the person with the budget that I know works with someone or has made a video that I like, mm-hmm. that I want in style. For example, I want a style of Bruno Mars. Mm-hmm. And that 60 frames per second um, with Cardi B, what's that song? I forgot. I forgot. Or maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Cardi B and me, I, though I respect I her career, I don't song. know her music very well. I forgot well. that song. <laughs> oh, dang. Finesse. Okay, there it is. Finesse. I want that in the style, like that 90s, all that finesse music video. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this director is within my budget. I'm going to pick him mm-hmm. versus someone else. Now, that's unfortunate, but that is part of the case. I think that, I hate to say it, because it's really not reflective of how good you are. But for the consumer, I do think that clientele does matter. It really does. Also, your price point does a lot more than most people think. How do you mean? How do you uh, explain so that? I've spoken to many people in my life about many different products along different ranges and all that. And it's kind of funny that if it's expensive, they assume it's good. Mm. So it's not always the case because somebody's cheap doesn't also mean that they're bad because uh, we were just talking about this. We were talking about how cheap these little lights I bought were and how good they are. And it's like, wow, actually, you know what? Now that I actually see the quality and the price point, though it is cheap, it's actually, yeah, I actually kind of want some. We've tried out many microphones, though they may be cheaper than some of these. Like, we've done the test ourselves. Like, uh, I'll say it myself. Like, the Sony C800G is a, is a great mic on many voices, but 
it's actually failed more recording sessions than it's won me over on. Um, but the Lawton Audio Eden, though it's $7,000 cheaper, it sounds significantly better to me. But then again, that's all opinion. But it's only after I was able to sit down in front of it. I remember at the beginning of my career, I thought because it was a ten, eleven thousand dollars $11,000 mic, I was like, oh my God, I have to have that. Everybody records on it and this and that. But it was just because it was expensive and flashy. Yeah. So, and I do think that price does reflect the brand and, and various things. So for example, I think that part of the reason why I charge the price that I charge is partially due to a lack of supply of my time. Mm-hmm. I don't have that much time to mix anymore. I, I, I wish I had more time. Um, I'm doing so many other projects. Um, but the other is, is more of a branding thing as well. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, it's really dope that your budget doesn't fit mine, but I've been saying no to a lot of people. And I've mm-hmm. actually, uh, I have a, an assistant that I pass on a lot of work for, for a lesser budget. And I oversee the project. I see it through make sure that it sounds good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say a big part of my pricing is, is for the branding. It's for the PR. Yeah. It's for to seem expensive. Yeah. And in turn, they pay a lot more. They, they think that you'd think that it'd go against you. It, it, you think that it'd be over promising under delivering, mm-hmm. but what it ends up being is more added trust. And I find that clients that are willing to pay more money mm-hmm. end up trusting you a lot more. That was the respect factor I was talking about. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I respect your time and your perceived value enough to be willing to pay this. And you know what? You respect your client that much more because they see that same value in you. So I do think that that is a nice different aspect. I think that the the numbers that I said earlier were relatively true. Yeah, relatively true. I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's like just three that there's always a Yeah, there's, it's just a lot of variables that go into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll be honest. Like, uh, I tell people all the time... Um, my price point lands in that mid range, you know, for a mix. But if anybody wants vocal tuning to be hand done, it actually skyrockets per track. The reason being is that there's also parts of the job that not a lot of people think are part of the job. Um, so depending on what it is you're after, depends if it's expensive or not. Like if you just need a regular mix and, you know, the reality is you turn it in only for the engineer to say like, hey, like a lot of these vocals are out of tune and you say, oh, can you hand tune them? It's like, you can't expect that for the same price. That's actually separate from mixing. But if it's strictly mixing and everybody's on the same page, those are very accurate. But I've had clients in the past where like, they'll send you something, be like, can you tune my vocals while you do that? It's like, oh, well, there's a price increase for that. Like, yeah, why? It's like, no, that's not part of mixing. So I think as long as everybody's on the same page as what, mixing is those prices land pretty spot on yeah and i and i think it's important to to reemphasize the the value of communication yeah for example um it sucks to be told oh wait these vocals need to be tuned beforehand like or after you've already started or send me wet and dry stems of those vocals because i might want to fix them even more yeah so (laughs) i know that that sucks but it would be even better and a lot more manageable if is if you asked before, hey, mm-hmm. are you going to need tuning on this? Mm-hmm. You know, and kind of bringing up these problems or these things that you might see may take up more time in the future. For example, something that I personally need to do way better at is asking for what versions of songs they want before we even start. For example, it is so annoying to me that I have to reopen a session 
and rebounce a, a instrumental version mm-hmm. after we finished it a month late a month before. Oh, and, I and, just and you know it what? In. I want to complain, but it is my fault. I should have asked if they wanted something like that earlier, and I should have taken the time while the session was open a month earlier. I should have just printed everything, and I keep forgetting to ask. I don't know if you sat in during my master class that I taught last week, but um, it was kind of funny. Somebody asked me about deliverables, and I just told them, like, if you take a look at my mix sessions, they are specifically designed around making sure every deliverable is available because I got so used to doing, like, label mixes that they always ask for every last most tedious thing that like, I remember I got asked once, they're like, can you send us a copy of the session and print out the session, but have everything rendered in the session. And then can you give us this? Can you give us that? I was like, why am I printing 10 different versions of this song? Like what is going on? So I just started, uh, my price got increased because of that but it now comes with it. And that's part of that where that list exists. And that's why I said it's a variable because some mixing engineers will only give you a two track stereo mix. Um, whenever I do mixes, I always turn in an instrumental, an acapella, a radio version, a TV version, and What's a, a TV performance version? version. So TV, they actually exclude certain words. You can't say certain words that you can get away with in radio. Like in radio, I think nowadays you can get away with saying bitch, but I don't think you can on TV. I forget what it is. There's specific word stipulations. So a lot of times I let them know in advance, like, hey, I have these versions ready for you. Let me know if there's any discrepancies on them before I send you the final. And a lot of times it's just fine. You know, a lot of times the radio edit will fly for the TV version as well. But sometimes for the TV version, they want you to take out like the verse because they just want the chorus for pitching purposes. So let's talk about also standard ways of charging as well. Cause I think that this is going hand in hand with this episode. Or now. Ways to get it paid. Yeah. Ways to get paid, ways to charge. For example, um, I had someone text me, Hey, they, they thought I was, charging a mix, another engineer that was wondering how I do my business texted me about how um, they thought that I was mixing per hour and charging per hour and and how was that feasible and how do you calculate that and they are they with you every session? You know, I had a bunch of questions. I was like, no, wait a second, I charge per song. Yeah. The only time that I charge per hour is if I'm in the recording room with them, we're cutting a record and they're like, just finish it up. And I just, I don't charge them. I don't stop the recording and be like, hey, I'm going to charge extra for mixing. No, I, I do it as part of the recording time. Granted, At that point, you're hourly anyways. Yeah, so yeah. so I think that's normal. And I do recommend that. I think that asking an artist, um, like think about this. If you're trying to buy this, right? If you're, if you're the artist paying for the recording session and the engineer stops the session and says, hey, actually I charge a lot more from that for this part of the song. Um, unless there's some communication beforehand, like if you do that all of a sudden, I'm going to be pretty upset being like, wait, what do you mean? Like we still have time on the clock. Like I'm giving you time right now. Like I want to take this home and listen to it immediately in the car, like do something with it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that that's pretty normal. Um, but that being said, I don't do a lot of tracking, so it's, it's mostly just per song. I've had that situation in the past. And what I've told people is this, uh, you know, my ears are pretty fatigued right now. I've, I've, it's not a fresh listen. Um, 
I can give you a mix, but I bet you anything by tomorrow morning we'll still have some notes for it. So don't consider this the final mix, but I'm happy to just do as much as I can right now for you. And that's what the rough mix is supposed to be, right? Yeah, because you've heard the song probably a million times that day. The clients, whether they liked or not, many of my clients like to be loud during their sessions. Um, not all the time, but when they are, my ears are fatigued. They're blowing away for the day. I need I need a day of rest so I can come back normal. And I think it's fair to say that the rough mix should be as good as you possibly can. You shouldn't half-ass it just because it's rough. Yeah. And um, not just should you do your best, but uh, if they decide to release that version, it should be okay. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be weird that an artist... How, how how big or small they are they just release the radio the 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 rough record and the, to be honest like the funny thing is just like you said it's not uncommon the last thing you want to do is because uh, i've actually had this conversation about i want to say almost a year ago and i still remember it to this day because i was kind of shocked um somebody asked me the question he's like yo so whenever people are recording with you and they ask you to mix it during the session like what do you do i'm like i mix the record and they're like you don't do just like a like a just throw a compressor on it kind of thing. I was like, now why? He's like, man, I hate when clients ask me to mix a record in the middle of the session. I'm like, that's not part of the price. I'm like, okay, but like you realize like it's kind of a trend that a lot of people just release the roughs anyways because they like it so much they've grown attached to it. The last thing I want to do is have the artist release it and then be like, yeah, mixed by Lou, and then it's like, ooh, ooh, that sounds bad I, I probably should have spent more time had i known they were going to release that so i think it's fair to say that it is never and and i want to be very careful because i might be missing a couple examples and scenarios where this doesn't apply but i can't think of any off the top but so i'm going to generalize here carefully i'm going to carefully generalize there is never a point in your career or in any situation that you do not want to give any client your all Oh no, hell at no. At all times. At all times. So for example, you feel you feel burned. Usually, and I'm going to be very bold here again, usually if you feel burned, it is your fault. It is because you didn't communicate earlier as the engineer or as the person charging. It is because you didn't you there was some misunderstanding caused by you. For example, this happens all the time. If you let the artist know beforehand that revisions cost money. <laughs> Yes. Okay. That one I've seen. Many you know, times, and then, yeah. but instead, you know what's a douche move is if you say, oh, yeah, I could do these revisions, but they're an extra $25 each, and they didn't hear about it at all. Now, that, th- th- it's not about the $25. It's the fact that you it's didn't It's the communication. It's, it's, yeah. If they knew that before, they'd, it doesn't matter if they were willing to spend $25. And I, so, for example, like, there is no point that you should ever half-ass any of your work. It's bad for your career, and it's bad for the artist. It's bad for your word of mouth. Yes, I know that some things are really tedious and annoying, and that's what a job is, unfortunately. You, you yeah. know, But at the same time, it is never appropriate to half-ass anything. Um, and I could say that that will burn you so much more than you could ever realize. Because as you say, Lou, like we, we say this all the time is, is if a client does not have a good experience with you, they won't tell you, they just won't come back. Oh my God. I love telling that to everybody that works for us. It's like, you'll be fired before you know, but I will know. I will know for sure because I will get the call and say like, hey, so-and-so, I don't know what's going on with them. They agreed to do this. Then they're doing this over here. Like what's going on with that person? Can you talk to them? It's like, hey, man. All right, let me let me talk to them because the artists usually will just avoid the conflict and just move on. 
Let's be Absolutely. honest. If we don't like a TV show, all we have to do is change the channel, not go hit the producer and be like, hey, can you rewrite this? <laughs> there are many digital marketing companies that get people to pay money so clients will leave bad reviews so they oh, yeah. know what the heck to fix. Yeah. The worst thing is clients having a bad time and them not leaving any review and you have no idea what's going on. You and don't even you just realize. just keep doing it. And they're spreading, sh- they're talking shit about you. They're like, don't ever work with this person. He's a dumbass. I don't like him. And you've lost business with not just with that one person, but with potentially, exponentially, many other people because you were dumbass once. It's kind of funny. Uh, I know you've seen me do this before. But if anybody ever brings up a name of somebody, I don't actively bring them up in conversation. But if they are brought up in conversation, I'm asked my opinion of them, and it's bad, I make sure to know why it's bad. Because I want them to know exactly what the issue was. This isn't no hater thing or whatever. Like, no, hey, listen, they're they're cool people. I'd have I'd still have a drink with them, but I'd never work with them again for this reason. Um, do what you will with that information, but... Uh, Here's the thing. Until that person wins me over, that's still my review. And it's not that they owe me anything. It's not that they have to win me over. But the reality is, how many chances do you get to win somebody back? Yeah, and I think... I wish I had those chances many times in my career. I know I've made mistakes, too. And I know there's probably people out there that say don't work with them. And I know there's probably many more that say that, yeah, you should work with them. But the reality is, bad news travels 10 times faster. So you have to work 10 times as hard for every mistake you make. And I think that we're, we don't want to make it sound scary because that it's is not. pretty easy to do. Just be you know? good people. Just be honest with your word. Be honest with your business. And communicate everything. Oh, my God. Communicate everything. And if you made a mistake, just own up to it. You know how easy it is to move on if you own up to things? We talk about this often as well as for, like, interns or for people that we work with. Yeah. Um, if, I if don't care. Like, even if even if you make that mistake. For me, this is, um, this is the one thing that we sometimes disagree with is is I take the value of an apology, especially from from Americans. Mm -hmm. This is very important because I know that there's a lot of like, for example, Japanese people don't have an issue with this. Japanese Mm -hmm. people tend to have the issue that you have with apologies, which is the words mean nothing. But to me, when an American apologizes, that means a lot more to me than when a Japanese person apologizes. Let's let's be honest. Pride is a factor and an apology takes a lot of pride to decide. Exactly. Americans in general are way more prideful. So if someone really prideful comes up to you and apologizes, I take that pretty seriously. And that being said, how often do people apologize to you when they've made an, a blatant mistake? The funny thing is this. Uh, it's not very often, but I take it in two ways. You're right. I do have an issue with apologies because I don't care for the apology. I care for the action that follows the apology. Or if you didn't apologize, I'd like to see that action. Reason being is this, I have no problem with you making mistakes. I have no problems with people uh, maybe having a bad decision, having a bad day and said something wrong or whatever, or misunderstandings in different situations. We all know what that's like. But if your client says, hey, I'm really hurt because of this, and your version of that is like, well, what do you want me to do about that? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing business with you. (laughs) Bro, like, I'm not asking for an apology. I'd just rather say, like, hey, no problem exists as long as a solution exists. As long as there's a solution available. Solution. Solution, yes. (laughs) But as long as there's a solution available, no problem exists because every problem can be remedied with the right solution. Now, that doesn't mean that the problem, therefore, has been negated and never exists and should never be spoken of again. But you should now learn from that event and say, cool, this is how we're moving forward. 
But if you look at an issue with your client and you say that's your fault or this is you, this is all you, the reality is you know that every time you point a finger, like three point back at you or whatever the people say. But as long as you're willing to adapt and move forward, you grow. And the more you've grown throughout your uh, industry is going to make that list a lot more relevant to you. The prices that you charge is based off of the respect and trust people have for you. Yeah. And, oh, that was a really good segue back into from our tangent about apologies. Oh, Everybody I, knows I, our tangents. To, they to, love them. To, I think. To I'm put sorry. To cap if you on don't. The, our apologies tangent, I think even with your action before words, and I, I respect that. Now, if someone said, got over their uh, pride and apologized as well as changed their action versus person B who didn't apologize, just changed their action. Who's going to win your trust back faster? Oh, the apology, of course. Of course, yeah. But I will take notice of those that take action. At the very least, it's just like, I know everybody's been talking about Tupac the last couple of days. Maybe I missed a birthday or an anniversary or something. I don't know what. But the the funny thing is, the one thing that I always resonated with the guy is uh, there was a phrase that he had said, and I, I could be paraphrasing this wrong, but um, he said, just because you lost me as a friend doesn't mean you gained me as an enemy. I, I don't want you to eat at my table, but I still want you to eat. Fair. Um, I, I think that we're making some good points here because this all matters to how much you charge. And, and unfortunately... Or fortunately, how you are respected, your clientele, your your experience all go into um, how much you should be charging. Now, let's talk a little bit about online. And I know you specifically have a lot of experience with this mm-hmm. because you do have a lot of um, sessions coming in from SoundBetter and engineers specifically. Now, we've had an episode in the past about Fiverr. Uh, and I think that that is a whole different marketplace. I think because of the internet, we're all blessed to be able to make a career out of this no matter where we're from. Now it's really hard and you have to work harder than everybody else who's willing to work really hard for this, but it's made it infinitely scalable by location. So let's mm-hmm. talk about this because on Sound Better, if I'm not mistaken, you charge a relatively significant amount less. Um, a relic, not like a, not like half off, but you charge a little bit less on, I don't want to break your secrets here. No, 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 no. It's okay to break them, but it, I think you might be going into it wrong. I actually charge my regular rate. I actually charge my label rate. Reason being is this, um, I'm all about longevity. I'm all about, uh, relationships. So my favorite thing to do on sound better is, uh, use, go to the job board. And I find uh, three to five people a day that I really like their music. I really like their example. They're looking for help. They just made a, a job listing saying like, hey, I'm looking for help from a mastering engineer or a mixing engineer. And as mixing, I charge $500 per mix. As mastering, I charge $150 per master. Um, but I reach out to those people and I say, hey, I really like your music. Um And I wanted to talk to you about working with you in the future. I know that you're looking for this, so I thought I'd throw my hat in the ring. I let them know a little bit about myself, maybe two lines, nothing. Because it's not about selling myself. It's rather saying like, hey, I really like your music. This is what I do. This is what you can expect from working with me. This is what I deliver. This is the turnaround time. This is what I charge. But... Um, Just to show you as a sign of good faith, because I know working online, and this is a big thing for online clients, we've never met before. 
and we have no relationship with each other. I could just be some random guy in some random place that you really don't have any built trust with. I'm willing to do your first three songs together at a 50% off discount. And if you like what's going on, then we can continue working together at my regular rate, or we can find a way that so like I can fit you. Exactly. And, or we can find a rate in between that helps us stay within your budget. But if what we do together, you do like, and I'm just still out of your price range, that's no problem. I'm just glad to have the opportunity to have worked with you in my past. So I think that that's actually, you hit a lot of really great points here, which is one, you maintain the value of your own work by saying, hey, this is what I usually charge. Um, now I know a lot of people that can say that, but come off douchey. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) well, you know, because of my credits. Yeah. So like it's in that scenario, it sounds like you come off saying that respectfully. It's more within the realm of you're on their team. Yeah. I want to, and I say, I'm the the main character. You're the main character. Yeah. And you come to them and you're like, I would love to work with you. At the end of the message, I actually put just to recap very quickly, just two lines. I say, my name is Lou and hopefully in the future, you're personal engineer. There you go. So that's awesome. And I think that um, it's important to to remember that we are not the main characters. And this is a big, I don't want to say psychological trick. That's not what it is at all. No, Um, because it has to be genuine. If you don't like somebody's music, don't reach out to them. Yeah, like when I get a haircut, it's about my hair. It's not about the barber. Yeah. I like my barber and I trust my barber and I go to that barber, but... It's not about the barber. It's about my hair. <laughs> Remember when I came back looking like a gangster uh, for one of the events? Yeah. I came out like bald with like my sideburns cut off for some reason. I was like, what happened? Like I, I trusted the guy when I first started like being questionable. I'm like, you know what? This guy knows what he's doing. He's, he's, the scissors are in his hand, not my hand. I'm just let him keep doing. Worst case scenario, my hair will grow back. But when I, when I looked at myself in the mirror at the end, I was like, my hair. So now there's a difference between like saying that I'm the man, I'm the man Mm -hmm. to, to then emphasize how me being the man is good for your team versus I'm the man, I'm the main character. You should bow down to me and pay my prices and do everything for me. Make it easier for me. There's a difference there because at the end of the day, um, you are supposed to, they're looking for people to be on their team who support them. That's why no matter how good or bad of a job you do with an artist, if you are very enthusiastic with them, oftentimes you win them over because they love that enthusiasm. They love enthusiasm. They love that you like their art. And that goes a long way. Or if you're like me, who I have a hard time being the 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 uppity type, just try to communicate well enough and just reemphasize that you're on their team. You don't have to sound like you're the happiest person in the world, but just let them know like, hey, you don't like this? No worries. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. Just be th- on their team. My favorite thing to tell people is don't worry. I've got you covered. I'll take care of it. So, and I think the last thing, last couple things that I want to end with before we finish this stream is, or this podcast, sorry, not stream. I mean, we could be streaming. <laughs> yeah, we could be streaming Friday mornings on Twitch at 10 a.m. PST, Pacific Standard Time. Um, I'm streaming, doing some mixed feedback. Uh, Lou... We also have on the mixingmusicpodcast.com a bunch of sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're coming up on, um, but uh, sorry, I'm zoning out here. <laughs> but yeah, we have a lot of sponsors and a lot of different equipment and different things that we recommend on mixingmusicpodcast.com. 
Um, you can find the podcast on YouTube, everywhere, all that jazz. Um, we do free giveaways and stuff. Lou has, for example, a vocal template, tracking template, oh, it's vocal actually, tracking template in Pro Tools that you can find. Yeah. And funny enough, that same template, I kid you not, people, but like uh, me and DK, actually, DK just had to cover a Keisha Cole session for me. Um, we were in studio with her, and it was actually, uh, oh, wait. It was during that timeline of my anniversary. Um, yeah. Cause I was having. So we did the, an episode about it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Like it was, there was one uh, where I couldn't be here because it was the actual day of my anniversary. I know we celebrated it over the weekend, but, you know, on the day of the anniversary, I went to dinner and DK did yeah, and, and I used your template. solo. Yeah. So, and the template's great. So go yeah. ahead. You can download that for free. And, uh, Let's see. That's about it for that sort of stuff. But the last thing that I want to talk about, and this is important, is your niche. For example, there's an artist out in Salt Lake who I respect very much, who is doing really well. From what I understand, he charges $600 per song. Doesn't have any huge credits, but he is very much well-known in the hardcore band scene. Ooh, I got to check him out. And nobody else can do as good of a job in the local areas. He does. And his also logic is... A band usually has four people. And with four people, $600 is like what? 150, 150 bucks per yeah. person? Yeah. Uh, which is really reasonable. Now, that's great logic. And it works for him. And he seems to be doing pretty well with that sort of stuff, especially in a genre that isn't as scalable. There's just not as many artists in that genre anymore. Yeah. Um, but he's doing really well with it. The last thing that I think I want to say before we end the stream is that totally forget about this list that we said. And because there are many times that I accept work and, and Lou said today, when you do half off of 500, that's 250 bucks. That goes into tier one, according yeah, to the PDF. Yeah, I put myself into tier one and I'll be honest, people, it's not a cocky thing, but I, I love people as much as I can, but I still have to pay my bills. And I think the last thing, yeah. So on that note, I think be flexible and be humble. I think humility goes a long way in this and, and knowing where you stand and understanding your value and not getting trampled on is important. But at the same time, um, the more that you enjoy the work that you do, the better it's going to go off. So even if it's with an artist that can't afford you, but you really like their music, I'd recommend giving them a discount to fit in their budget and doing the best work that you can for them because those clients then spread your name and say, hey, this person is amazing. With my, with my label thing that I had back in Utah where I, had, where I managed like 12 artists, it was the same thing. Like all 12 of those artists, I won them over so much and I did so much free work for them that I had 12 people in, in Utah spreading my gospel, telling me, telling everybody how awesome DK is. And I made so much money and gained so many clients, even though it was a lot of hard work. So um, I think that that's important as well. Like be flexible, be humble. And honestly, free work is not bad work. Yeah, as long as you enjoy it. Now, if yeah, it's yeah, yeah. free work that you don't enjoy, don't do it. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, um, I really do believe that people can make money from this craft. It, it's going to take time, and we're talking years. But if you stick with it, if you really find a way to enjoy it, make it really passionate, like become really passionate about it for years, then this is something that can definitely become a career. Oh, yeah. And uh, I recommend everybody to also just keep experimenting. You'll find, go ahead and give out that discount. Yeah. You may find some bites. You may find that giving out coupons and discounts is bad. Actually, it doesn't work. You just experiment. Just to make it quick, like literally real as quick as I can. One of the ways I got to work with uh, my fiance's uh, favorite 
singers. Uh, he was the lead singer of one of her favorite bands. When we met, she was she had posters of this guy on her wall. And she one day showed me- Jake a, Paul? No. no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he a singer? No. <laughs> I was about to say, like, damn. That's kind of intimidating, though. Okay. I don't know. I ain't got that big of a six-pack. I, I got a fat pack. But, You're also not a douche. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, it was kind of funny. So his name is uh, Micah Miley. He's uh, the singer of a band called There for Tomorrow, which is a very, very cool group. I used to listen to him myself, too, after I met Anna. But she had posters of this guy in her bedroom uh, when we first met. The funny thing is this. Um, she one day shows me an Instagram post saying that he's in L.A. and he's working and writing. And she's like, well, yo, how crazy would it be that he booked your studio? I'm like, I don't think that's crazy at all. I immediately DM'd him and said, hey, you know what? Um, my name is Lou. I know we haven't met. Um, just tiny bit about myself. I've worked with so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm just a big fan of your music, and I know my fiance is too. Um, if you're ever looking for a space to work out of in Los Angeles, uh, just to let you know, uh, I'm happy to house your recording sessions for free for the next couple days if, uh, if you're willing to work together. He immediately responded like, yeah, let's go. And we worked together for the next three days, recorded a ton of records together. I recently hit him up. We chatted it up like if it was old friends talking and everything. And I told him, too, I'm like, hey, I have somebody that's interested in one of the songs we wrote together. He's like, dude, let's sell it. Let's do like, it. Like, you know, we're in business. And it was all off of a message just saying, hey, I'm a fan. Let's work together. If you're an aspiring engineer or producer, if you're a fan of an artist that's out there, it's not a bad idea to just hit them up and say, Hey, I'd love to work with you. Um, I normally charge, but like, I like you enough to say, like, I'd rather build a relationship with you. Let's, let's try to figure something out. I, and that's a really great story. That's a really great story, actually. So on that note, just keep pushing, just keep trying. Um, there's enough fish in the sea, but it's not easy as well. So, and tuna is delicious. Don't, don't worry if you find tuna. I do love tuna. Wait, literally? Literally. Uh, literally, yeah. Yes. On that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. Is episodes once a week not enough for you? Or are you looking for more technical information from the Mixing Music Podcast? Well, guess what? Now you can. You can subscribe to our exclusive content and triple the amount of episodes that you get access to. That's right. Instead of the free once a week episodes, you get three episodes a week for only $4 a month or $40 a year. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive to get access to those episodes now. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.